Hello there, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are. It's Addison here again, your favourite friendly furbolg, and the pod of many things for another great episode where we're going to be talking about the Shadow of Mog, presented to us by Manic Productions, and we have the man himself, Panny, here talking to us about Shadow of Mog. Um, we'll get more into that as we move forward. So, Panny, how are you doing? You alright? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well today, thanks. How about you? Alright, I had to, like I was telling you before we went live, I, uh, I had to take a quick power nap because I've been out and about. Because um, usually I'm a teacher, and then um, I've, I'm on Easter break, so I'm like, oh, let's go do things. Like, go sort out my life. And I really forgot how tiring it is not being in the same building all the time. But yeah, um, I'm good, I'm good. So, uh before we we go on, Panny, let's get the audience introduced to you, your history in the tabletop RPG space, like what game sort of games you play, like all that stuff. So, Panny, tell us a bit about yourself. Oh yeah, so my name's uh, Panny. I'm a London-based um, indie tabletop RPG designer, and uh, yeah, long-time uh, tabletop and role-playing fan. I started uh, playing Warhammer was my first foray when I was about nine years old. Um, and I transitioned to Dungeons and Dragons when I was about 16, and uh, then that was just a huge slippery slope into uh, the wor a wider world of um, role-playing games. Um, and yeah, um, that's, uh, that's basically me. Um, I, uh, in the before times, I ran a um, London-based um, old-school Dungeons and Dragons uh, group, um, and, but this is like the first uh, proper game that I've uh, released and... and I'm here to talk about. It's, it's really impressive for, for first, like like the the presentation of it. Um, I've got a physical copy come in that you've been so kind to uh, send me, but um, like the presentation of it's marvelous. Like I, I really like like the um, that like worn away feeling that you've got through the art and stuff like that. Uh, was that of your design or did you have collaborators on that? Um, so all of the um, layout um, was by me. Um, the artwork was uh, by a good friend of mine by the name of Alad Lawler, who um, runs uh, his own production company called Anima Press. Um, and uh, he was also uh, instrumental in sort of giving me um, guidance um, on the layout on the project. And uh, he suggested uh, the method that I adopted, uh, which was, well, like effectively and to be honest i suck in design <laughs> i'm terrible with digital art and design so what he suggested was that i um build piece of game together on paper effectively so each page of the game is an a4 uh, sheet of paper uh, but i've literally cut and pasted uh, the snippets of the rules and the pictures and collated it together with other bits of like underground artwork and pictures of beans in my cupboard and all sorts of stuff and then i've just scanned those pages in and uh cropped them down i was gonna ask together. you if that's but how you did it i was gonna ask if that's how you did it because it because um obviously as a, as a teacher I'm, I'm used to the old photo here like i'm like yeah and I, was, I just recognized a lot of like the 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 almost like the the markings and stuff like that and the idea of like things are a bit Wappy and stuff. I was like, ah, oh, kind of looks like it's been photocopied, but no, that that explains it. So let's jump into the meat and potatoes then. If we're if we're going to be talking about Shadow of Mog, how? Give me the elevator pitch for the Shadow of Mog. What is the Shadow of Mog? What's it about? What sort of system is it? And why should people pick it up? 
So Shadow of Morg is a uh, post-Brexit uh, role-playing game. It's set in the uh, London underground, uh, following like a catastrophic occurrence known only as the event. And you play as a group of survivors in the uh, London Tube network, uh, trying to eke out existence and still clinging on to uh, democratic ideals from the um, before time. And the mechanics linked to that, the main unique uh, mechanics are both group uh, voting and resolution mechanics where the entire party has to vote for every significant decision and then that all de all decisions are like resolved um, by the dice um, as a group rather than individually um, and then consequences scatter out from that all uh, willy-nilly in myriads of interesting ways yeah it, it, it's it's really funny just how like so you call it a post-Brexit RPG, and uh, obviously that's a very hard-hitting British thing. Like, um, as as it's been something that's divided us as, as Brits for a while. Um, and obviously the London un Underground is that, like, iconic thing. Uh, do, did you choose the London Underground because of that, like, iconic status? Like, um, because you could have set this, like, in, in Scotland, where they've become independent and stuff like that, or you could have said it. What what made you want to do like the London Underground, even though it's post-apocalyptic and stuff like that? Well, um, it was mostly my daily commute, to be honest. So this game <laughs> started forming in my head in about 2018 or so. And uh, I realised looking at the tube station, like map day in and out, that I was packed in amongst many other commuters, uh, that um, it would make a really fantastic uh, tunnel crew crawl the like tube map and uh, by tunnel crawl i mean that sort of a concept from like old school DD, &D, which is one of my huge um, influences where there's a big focus on like dungeon crawling and there's a thing called a point crawl which is like where you um you basically go from point to point on the um map and uh i just thought that would be a really interesting thing to turn into a game so i started working on it then um and everything sort of came together from that uh, initial idea of my uh, daily nine to five wage slavery misery. So, yeah, yeah no, and and uh, I think my I, I look through this and um, I was talking to Laurie O'Connell um, as they made uh, Lichcraft, and it has a quite a, a biting commentary about like the NHS and and uh, transitioning in the UK. And I feel as if this has that same sort of thing with like every single this thing just drips and oozes satire and British black humor and like that stiff upper lipness, but like moaning about it sort of thing. I I, I love like the flavor text and like the the classes and stuff like that. So, what made you like choose? So, for example, if we go to the classes and we'll talk a bit more about, I just want to get through the classes first, and then we'll talk about the mechanics. Um, what made you decide, like, on some of these, like, Pandy Ponty Firefighter, um, West Country Farmer, the primary school teacher is probably my favourite, um, but, and then, like, these, why have you chosen, like, these, and the wig, why have, why are these specific people, the people that you've decided to highlight in your game as, as these uh, survivors and people desperate to carve out life in the London Underground. Um, so uh, the initial like concept of the game when I first started designing it was um, effectively an old school like Dungeons and Dragons clone. Uh, so uh, you'd have instead of a fighter, it was a firefighter instead of a um, 
cleric, it was a nurse. Uh, in, and there was uh, literally a, a psyker at one point. There was going to be like legitimate um, like horror and paranormal elements that eventually got removed. Um, mm. And um, so, um, but then I was like, well, I, again, I want this to be about sort of ordinary people. I want this to be about the, the British public. Like, so I don't want to have these like sort of D&D heroic um, classes. And then I was, then I played a game called Troika by Daniel Sell, which has uh, 36 uh, classes in it. Would you um, be surprised to know? Uh, which form a sort of um, huge gamut of the strange, weird fantasy, um, sci-fi fantasy world of Troika. And um, and I thought, well, that's perfect. I can do 36 classes and then I can do like a whole wide range of like, quote unquote, ordinary um, people from British society, plus a few weird and wonderful uh, ones as well. Hence, so I added farmers and teachers and uh, yeah, um, all sorts of um, people with it. Yeah, like because some of them are great, like some of them uh, you've got like, uh, uh, let's find... The Mog Rustler, when is it okay to punch a fascist and other silly questions liberals ask? Um, like, uh, you've got the Taylor Manus Maketh Man, which is obviously a reference to uh, Kingsman, the the film. You've got, like, Soldier. I quite like the East End Grifter, uh, one born every minute. Like, uh, like I, I just love the fact that it's so entrenched in, like, British expectations and... and and stereotypes and stuff even the qmul computer science graduate you hope you can get a job now you're a stem grad are there still jobs like it's like so like so sarcastic and witty and like you it hides like that dark that darkness behind that humor of like oh no like they're a bit like so for the stem grad guy like or, or girl like their their field is pretty much gone, like so. You get that feeling of like, oh no, they might not, they might not make it. They may not be able to make it. They do not have the relevant skills to survive. So um, I quite like that, and I quite like um, just I just like it in general how you've like made some really good like um, skill choices, and your stat system's really like simple. You roll that many d6s for uh, how many points you've got in it, but then there's like oh other things like oral tradition, which is part of your bant score. So instead of just going, uh, oh, you can use oral tradition and larping, <laughs> which <laughs> they're just pretty funny. So um, let's talk about the system then, because these these characters are funny, but they do have like mechanical and statistical benefits and stuff like that. So. How did you come up with this system? What what was the inspirations? You've talked about like old school D and D and the tube map. I've used the tube map in uh, Mutants and Masterminds. Um, I set a game in London and used the tube map um, to basically get them around London without having to have a whole map of London. Um, so yeah, um, what what system did you have you pulled from to create this like really funny and really interesting little uh indie rpg you've got going on here um yeah so there's a um, few sort of um systems uh system inspirations within it that um go into the um uh, final sort of voting and resolution um mechanics um the system's really split into two parts so you've got the voting um part which is uh 
that's quite simple. It's basically every decision in the game has to be um, democratically voted on by the party. So that can be like, what direction do we go in the tunnels? Do we go to King's Cross today? Okay, that has to be propositioned and then voted on. Uh, do we uh, feed this child with the last of our resources or do we leave them um, alone? That has to be uh, voted on and uh, everything, every, everything's significant. Do we fight or flee from these um, people, etc.? And um, initially that's um, just a sort of uh, yay or nay, like you say, yes, we vote for that or no, we don't uh, type voting system, though the players can, as they explore, um, change how their like democracy works or even abandon uh, democracy. Um, so that's the sort of voting half. And then there's the resolution half, which is the, um, uh, the core dice mechanics in the game. Uh, they were influenced primarily by, um, well, PBTA um, in terms of like the sort of framing and the consequences. And then um, a system called Year Zero, which uh, is in the Forbidden Lands and Alien in particular, um, as well as um, a few other uh, games, uh, which uses a um, dice pool, a D6 dice pool system where basically um, you have to get a, a six. Uh, which is a success um five is a partial success uh two to four is a failure and in mog one's a critical failure um uh, the diff the big difference with that is instead of rolling those dice individually uh you roll them all as a group and you collate um your uh, scores together so you um look at everyone's results and you uh, look for the highest amongst everyone's results and the bids are done in secret so you don't necessarily know how much your allies are going to um help you until the dice are rolled and then the whole thing sort of narrated all in one so like if there's a fight scene it's all narrated out in one if there's a role play scene it's sort of narrated out um and then the speaker which is the gm sort of decides what the ultimate um consequences will be uh, so that's the that's the brief gist of it i guess yeah no it's, it's an interesting system because obviously voting <laughs> or getting tabletop rpg players to vote on anything and to agree on anything is is a pretty brave mechanical choice you've made like oh these people like to argue right and plan for hours like um how about we put pressure on and like you've got things like the party manifesto where you can add like is it the party manifesto where you can like basically make it so that these things no longer need to be voted on and i get that very like orwellian like animal farm-esque like all animals are created equal and then halfway through the game that's going to be like so but some animals are more equal than others like and i'm like oh no oh no like it, um in terms of the resolution mechanic though is it about what you you decide to part to bring to that like uh situation so for example if i am like a a bantz character a social character would i add would i bring my uh bantz to the table or do i have to uh go along with like the party in terms of like oh this is a hench thing so everybody has to contribute their hench role or can i take stats that i want um so yeah so the party vote for um like uh how they want to approach a um a situation and then uh if the uh, situation is like significant enough to warrant a role um then you um each sort of then describe how you're going to like support the party um so in theory yeah you could um use your uh, your band score in a um situation because um the the resolution is done sort of scene based so uh, i don't know if you have a group of uh her majesty's uh soldiers um sort of guarding an area and the overall decision is to uh, maybe go in there and try and um, knock them out 
and you vote on that, um, you could say, well, I'm, I'm going to use my bants to go up to them and distract them, and then maybe you can sneak around them with your lead pipe, and that would use their hench, and then maybe you can uh, sing us a song from the background to inspire our morale, because you've got some bagpipes, um, and so on and so forth. And then uh, the party and the speaker sort of adjudicate that together, and then you uh, pick a number of dice in secret based on your uh, stat plus skill, plus other bits and pieces like your um, tools and your uh, any followers slash mates. Um, and then you just roll all the dice together and uh, see what happens. Because mm. uh, because uh, I'm also looking at like so because um, one thing that and this might be because I'm not used to like year year zero like I've never played Forbidden Lands. I, I my friend the flickering torch Ben here's your free promo before you go. <laughs> like um, he he's in love with that system. He loves he loves everything about it. He loves the books the the maps like little flags that it comes with and everything um and so do you take damage to your stats is how how i've kind of read this how does how does that work for for those people who are who traditionally have hit points like hit points are very separate from your stats how does how does that work for those people who who don't know that so yeah so the um so the key thing about like the reason that you bid um, for dice for commitment is because there is a risk in adding your dice to the pool. So, for example, if you have a uh, free hench, which is um, the sort of fighting uh, strength stat in the um, game, and you commit free d6 as a result, you can commit up to um, uh, one d6 to the pool for each uh, point of the stat you have, and then you roll them. Uh, if you get a one on any of those uh, stat dice, uh, your stat lowers by um, one and then that can only be healed by like rest or having uh, medication and if it hits zero you have to uh, in this case roll on the um, bonk chart um, and that can um, cause you permanent injuries and based on the context of the situation or even uh, kill your character so going down to zero is uh, pretty uh, pretty bad and um, there's a potential to uh, go down fast if you um, roll quite badly um, so you're always going to be gauging your commitment but uh, on the other hand uh, if your group fails um, in the overall task uh, you all suffer the consequences of the failure so if you're too stingy you can still get bitten um you can still get yeah quiet, uh, which i like to think is an analogy for like um you know um people who like liberals who don't go out and uh, protest and vote because you're still you're still stung by it even if you don't do anything yeah exactly that I decisions yeah that idea of like you've got to use your vote use it or lose it i quite like that because i come because the one reason why i'm asking that about like the the stats and stuff because i'm looking at the proletariat like not one but many feet and the fact that like there's there's very specific rules if your hench hits zero and stuff like that like and i'm um, just like how so that's on a one or a two did you say that the that the dice disappears uh, that's on a one of a d6. So, okay. Um, if, you, if you roll your three hench and you get like a four or five and a one, uh, your hench will go down by uh, one as a result. And that applies to all your stats. So um, your um, bants and your noggin and your dash. Um, and then broadly they're split into uh, kind of mind stats and physical stats. And there's two separate charts. So there's a bonk chart and a stiff upper lip chart. And the bonk chart covers physical injuries and the stiff upper lip chart um covers like emotional and mental uh, yeah. trauma. Uh, I do love that. One of my friends does say that one of the good things about Forbidden Lands is like the fumble and the failure tables. Like the like how much like cool stuff you can get and like 
sometimes they're like just weird and wonderful and other times it's just like no you dared you you dared like deal with it so i do think it's really cool that you've managed to pull that over into this and like yeah just look at uh those two elements as well different differentiated so like if there's a physical consequence that physical consequence is physical and it's not going to change anything else whereas the mental consequences are, are mental and they don't change anything else either it's it's just really interesting to think that you've got you've you've thought of that and i think it's just like everything seems symbolic every every little bit of this seems as though right okay I'm, I'm going to tell some sort of story about British politics and British society through every single mechanic, like, like uh, underground train driver. So like union striking, because we all live in fear, especially if you live in London of the unions calling a strike. So you're like, and it's a hench score because of the fact that people know that if you drive the trains in London, like you pretty much have the power to like, stop london for the day which nobody wants so it's like it's like a strength thing not a like balance thing I, I i just love like everything seems rich and um uh symbolic of something was that what you were intending to do uh yeah i mean absolutely yeah it was um it was meant to be like multi-layered with um yeah references and um symbolism and all sorts of things like that um yeah particularly like that's a good example of the um union strike ability and um the so the skills in the game are um they're specifically um quite idiosyncratic um so they're um stuff like yeah union striking or proselytizing or cucumber sandwich making i think might be one of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um so the, the skills uh so skill dice add to your um pool so if um you have three on a skill you can add an additional uh three of that skill and the good thing about skill dice is they don't um degrade you so you all can always add them to a pool quite safely as long as you're using one of the um related um stats so if you're as long as you're using one hench dice you can add one of your appropriate um hench skills to the um to the roll um, yeah, so they're like um, so they're perfectly quite specific, but they're quite powerful um, as a result. Do, of being quite do they and they don't go down on a one like the others? No, no, they um, they stay static, and even they can even um, go up um, in terms of um, you can like train um, train up new skills, and you can um, learn new skills as well um, that you've uh, like either witnessed or want to or to have someone to like train you up on during the uh, kind of cotch phase of the game, uh, which yeah. is like the rest phase for yeah. the um, American audience who need a translation. Oh yeah, just uh, unfortunately, like I, I do want to talk to you about like how you think Americans going to perceive this because you got things like Scran. So like for um for for food and then you've got like juice for like energy and stuff like that. You've got um uh, Molly, which is like what we would know as 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 a as a drug, but also is for like healing and stuff and well healing in a way, because I think you can like overdose on Molly, can't you? Like and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> how's it's gonna have you did you ever watch the film Fifty First State? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah do, 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 when Samuel L. Jackson's character is in <laughs> London, he just has no idea what anyone's saying. I feel as if like that's what's going to happen here. So, what? Like, obviously, this is a post-Brexit RPG. It's taken the mick out of like the the conservatives and uh, especially with the with Shadow of Mog, Jacob Brees Mog. Like, um, you had to explain that to me because I, I just couldn't connect it for a second. I was like, oh, the guy who looks like a Dickensian villain. Um, 
do you think that um do you think that you know politics and stuff like especially in a comedic sense is is important to like put into like uh, tabletop rpgs because a lot of people look at like tabletop rpgs as something to like escape and i feel as if you've you've made something that you can use as escapism but doesn't make you forget things like it's it's just so clever so how how do you feel about that like in terms of the escapism aspect um so i'm one of those people who like um believes that everything is political so whether or not you're trying to uh, make a political statement i think it's impossible to uh inherently separate politics um from the from your work because you know we live in a society and um all that um that being said um this is a very like explicitly political um game with uh, layered with a lot of uh, political references that um ultimately is like trying to uh explore like democracy that's what it really um comes down to for me because i think the brexit vote like shook the country because it was a chance for um england to uh have a uh democratic like um vote and a referendum vote that was literally um a you know whoever gets the highest percentage of votes wins rather than a first past post system which um gets criticized for um being um like not really caring about the majority of voters but just like specific constitutions um constituencies even um so um yeah so i really wanted to explore that um within the um game um i mean the game does come with like at the front there's like your safety tools and things like that um and you know this is a mature game play it with people who are a bit understanding of this thing um i always suggest uh two tools lines and veils um which um, let you basically say things you don't want to be in the game as well as x cards which let you like raise a card or say x to um just stop the game temporarily um if something comes up that makes you um, uncomfortable for any reason um i think those are important things to include and obviously if you're running this sort of thing you, i think you need to prep your group and be like this is what we're in for um but um yeah i still think it's important and i think it's important to um write about you know politics include that in games and include that in art and i think obviously a long history of um art being intertwined with politics yeah no and it is really clever how you've done it like in 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 a, a lot of it is in the representation of 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 this world after the event and the the um the characters involved that you've decided to give as classes. So I'm looking again at uh, something like the aristocrats, uh, the aristocrats, sorry. And just the fact that class privilege hunt, fuck the poor, uh, private education, like all these things that give, uh, like give off the sort of, I don't know, like the, the essence of how we feel in Britain. But as, as part of that, one of the things, that I worry about with this game and because it's really good. And I think that a lot of people should, should play it. It's like, do you think that by making it so entwined with like British society and values and like the idea of, of British culture that you are somewhat like fencing off an audience like the Americans, how, how are they going to react to this? Like not knowing what gubbins are, for example, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I am absolutely, uh, quite personally, um, fencing off an audience or, um, as I like to think, targeting a um, specific audience. So um, I think um, one uh, potential uh, mistake, depending on um, your your design of your game, and especially if you're like an indie designer like me, who is a pretty much unknown um, quantity, is to create something that's like really, really 
broad in terms of um, design. Um, the stereotypical example is like the quote-unquote like Heartbreaker um, RPGs, which are basically like Dungeons and Dragons uh, clones, uh, like someone's house rules of D&D that they formed into a um, pro usually a quite well-designed game, but one that's so broad that the uh, the market isn't really going to necessarily engage with it. Um, that's not always um, true, and there's um, there's lots of ways to make fantasy games, obviously, and so on and so forth. And all these efforts are um, often really well done, but um, I really wanted to make something um, specific. Uh, I wanted, basically, I want the people who want to buy this game to see it and be like, that's an instant buy for me. Um, yeah. Rather than, um, and if there's like Americans who don't understand it, don't then I'm I'm okay with that um, because um, I'm I'm aiming for a very specific like uh, you know London London based role playing game and so um, who are, uh, are a bit liberal and um, like jokes about Monty Python, uh, but I'm 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 okay with that and I think um, it's done quite well as a, I think it's done quite well um, considering again I'm um, this is my first like game on the market um, because of that like targeting. No, I think I think it's like like I said. I, I don't mean that as a criticism. If it oh. came across as one, it's 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 like I'm just. I think lots of people should play this because of the fact that it, it talks about something, like like the the Monty Python references. It's got the 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 bourgeoisie and the proletariat. It's got, um, like Church of England vicar, like um in uh, yeah. It's just so good. Everything's just the Brixton Bobby, um. Like all these things that are just really interesting and uh, so rich in terms of their like satire and everything, I think that people should should experience it. Um, do you think that that you you could ever? Um, do you think that you could ever make this for like New York or something? Would you like release expansions to do with other political systems, or is that like nope, not for me? That's too much effort. Yeah, so um, you've um, yeah touched on something there. Um, in the in the back of my head, I've like vaguely con contemplated like uh, doing a. I was going to do like a uh, shadow of tents. Uh, yeah. uh, that when the um, Portland uh, riots were happening, uh, but then unfortunately, like um, Joe, Joe, unless I unfortunately, damn, I can't get my game out because Joe Biden went and won and Trump got, mm. uh, and politics become. Well, I don't know. Politics is politics, and it's still uh, there's still a lot of potential um, to make something uh, set in America, um, even if a political situation is a little bit more stable. Um, so yeah, I've contemplated um, that as well as a few other ideas which play with the um, concept but move it to different um, localities. Um, though for the um, moment, I'm happy like grounding it in. Uh, I think it's grounded in uh, London. Though yeah, it's definitely an option, and probably the best way to like um, replicate the game would be to use like different, quite specific. Um, Almost like localization in video games, isn't it? Like we we're gonna we're gonna make it so that you understand by putting in people that you know like um and putting you in in places that you know rather than uh so yeah um because i was talking about this with like laurie when when i was talking about hieronymus which is his um hex crawl through the paintings of a medieval painter called hieronymus bosch which depicts sin and the the fall of feudalism that's specific <laughs> like and um and then like lichcraft which is like in out of spite because the the waiting list is 300 years old it's 300 years you're, you're going to turn yourself into an undead lich in order to transition into being the gender that you wish to be um 
out of spite to the Tory government. And um, do you think that um, you kind of hit the hit it on the head? Like, do you think that as an indie RPG, you have to find like niches that you can carve your way into, rather than do these big, broad, like like you said, heartbreaker um, RPGs? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You do need to find um, a niche of some uh, description. Now, I don't think you always have to um, create something um, like super like targeted and idiosyncratic and specific and all over the place, odd and whatnot. Um, I think uh, you can you can be quite subtle with it in ways. Like um, I think I don't know if you call like old school essentials um, and quite an indie game, but it's a good example of like a way to take um, a pre-existing uh, game and uh, market it uh, for if you don't know old school essentials is basically a basic net expert uh dungeons and dragons clone which is the game that came out in the, the original DD that came out in the 80s um old school essentials just updates it um and lays it out really 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 well mm. um and uh there's an inbuilt audience already and the um layout is really what um sells it because it's just really really well laid out um but it's ostensibly just a, a copy and paste of um D, uh which has been around for about um 40 years or so plus um so so there's um there's ways of um there's definitely ways of um like targeting and uh if you still want to make a, a more broad like fantasy game um i think uh yeah like um yeah but um yeah i still think you do need to work out some sort of niche because uh for better or worse the hobby is dominated by dungeons and uh, dragons fifth edition in particular at the moment and uh you're gonna have to find people who want to play something different to that and if it's too close to that most people a lot of people are going to be like no i just play dnd yeah definitely i i see that i see that because yeah if why would i go out of my way buy this new system and yada yada if i'm just going to play dungeon dragons again when i could just play dungeons and dragons so yeah um because that's what I've been looking for recently in in terms of like I feel a bit like I'm I finally hit that point where I no longer because I was one of those people I'm not gonna lie who was like yo I only play Dungeons and Dragons I've got no time for the rest of it like I've got I, I want to invest in one thing and I think slowly I've began to realize that you know what actually I can I could I could start playing other stuff so it started off with like Knights Black Agents uh Blades in the Dark. Um, I'm now playing Mecha Hack, uh, which is a Black Hat game. Uh, I've got Good Society, the Jane Austen RPG. I, I really want to play this. Like I'm beginning to like broaden um, my tabletop RPG palette, if you will. Um, do you think that's important for tabletop RPG players to like experience different things and experience different games, or do you think that um, just just do what you like like even if it's the same thing all the time like because um, this has multiple like trains of thought like um i think it's really important if you're a um designer or um influencer or blogger within the um, industry uh to um explore a wide uh, gamut of different games but specifically if you're like um uh, doing that i suppose um like uh, the influences for shadow of mod came from like so many different directions like i um like uh, i yeah i played a lot of like um scum and villainy which was uh, inspired by blades in the dark and blades in the dark as well influenced the game as well as um a, there was a zombie game called Dead of Winter, which had a voting mechanic in it. It was a board game, uh, which I played, and that um, 
that inspired it to a um, degree as well as all sorts of other things and i think if you're especially if you're um, designing i think you need to um, reach as broadly as possible in the um, industry to um, see what's out there see what people are doing and to get like as many ideas as possible um however if you're playing like i don't i don't need to be i don't want to be like um bad wrong fun about it like if you're playing and you just want to play D every week with your buddies and you don't really care about anything else within the industry uh because you've got your fifth ebooks and you're quite happy then you know go for it um enjoy your life <laughs> but if you want something else there's lots of um there's lots of cool other games um out there that um i think are genuinely like worth exploring because they're fun and they do broaden like how you approach games um Certainly, and I'd add as well, certainly as a dungeon master, um, if you're maybe just playing, uh, maybe you don't need to, but as a dungeon master, I find even if you're just going to dungeon master D&D, reading um, other um, games uh, will give you a lot of ideas on how to like run games, like um, reading like PBTA, for example, like Apocalypse World and all that jazz, um, did so much for like improving my um, Dungeons and Dragons games without us even playing PBTA, just because I started including some of those ideas within it. Um, so yeah, so I think it's important from a uh, maybe a top-down design or uh, game-running level. But um, if you're playing and having fun, you know, you do you and all that. Game design is something that I've always found quite intimidating. Like my friend Ben, again, here he goes, um, is is beginning to design his own tabletop RPG. Um, it's kind of like in the vein of Men in Black meets uh, the Fae. So instead of aliens, they deal with like the Fae instead. And there's like a bureaucracy mechanic where if you don't fill in the right forms, like you get more and more restrictions and stuff like that. Um, what what do you think people need to do in order to to get into design? Because like I look at it and I'm like, nope, I'm good, I'm fine. Like I will leave it there. How would you um how would you encourage people to get into games design? What's 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 the biggest barrier to entry and how can you overcome that oh um so well the industry is a like really small industry like so there's no um there's no real um genuine official route into the industry um, mm. like, um in, in the same way as um certainly now this this is a fairly recent development but within the video game world you can now take go to university and you can do a video game design course um that certainly wasn't the case um sure when they first started but certainly maybe in the 80s you couldn't do that um or um but um you still can't go and do a tabletop role-playing game um design um course at like a university level like a properly credited level like there isn't really um an authority um like that so your path in is really just just do it like it's really stereotypical but like just play games uh run games and just write stuff and design stuff and just keep um keep making stuff and keep doing stuff and mm. um um, you'll uh, you'll eventually um, be able to um, create something that hopefully you'll be confident enough to uh, to want to um, publish. Um, there's uh, and publishing now, like digital publishing in particular, is um, arguably like easier than um, ever. Like you can go on sites like Itch and Drive Through, um, and even like setting up your own sites um, these days is um, fairly uh, simple um, to um, like promote your own um, promote your own games and design your own games. Um, so yeah my best suggestion is just sit down and do it but like network as well like find designers in your area find um talk to your friends about games um like and go to industry events if you can go to games expos try and find people there to talk to like there's lots of little things you can do um but mostly just 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 design just do just do it just design games and play test for them and keep designing yeah 
that makes sense like that that's pretty good like um it's how a lot of industries work isn't it network ask your friends do it like take their criticism or their advice do it again like um so you mentioned your your friend ax uh, who owns axiom productions did i get that right or have uh, i anima 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 press um so do you work closely with them and are you releasing mog through anima or is this just completely independent uh yourself as manic productions uh so uh yeah um, shadow of mog is a manic productions game i'm um launching it and uh, running it and distributing it myself etc um anima press uh, have their own game called mutants which is um another zine game uh which is uh, you play as cats <laughs> but cats with mutant powers like laser vision um and uh, that's available on their website and they're um, hopefully producing um some other uh cool stuff um coming out in the future that's um, actually pretty cool not gonna lie <laughs> like <laughs> uh yeah and um and um uh, yeah, uh, they help me with the um, artwork and um, a lot of like um, layout advice and things like that. Um, Alid's um, very good with um, art and design work in um, particular. Um, so yeah, they, they gave me a lot of uh, gave me a lot of support, and we both like threw in our pitch on. Uh, so we kickstarted uh, in with Zine Quest Two. So um, Alid kickstarted uh, Mutants, and I kickstarted uh, Shadow of Mog. So we were sort of doing it together, and we were talking about like thinking of doing like wider collaboration down the line and seeing where it would go. But then uh, COVID happened, and we uh, everything <laughs> so we just sort of retreated to our bedrooms instead, and um, and uh, worked on our own stuff. So. Um... I was going to ask about like as as one person like you, you, you obviously you've got the banner of manic productions that's like your your production company but you you are one person I understand yeah. right mm -hmm. uh, that must be quite quite a quite a herculean task you've got there of like setting everything up doing the kickstarters doing the uh, the itch stores and everything like that um how do you feel about that like cuz cuz the you're you're essentially giving your work over to a third party in terms of the public or another website to to like storefront it um do you not feel like anxious or anything about that like i i, I think that kickstarter would give me a fucking heart attack i'm not going to lie like what if we don't make it sort of thing um yeah i mean uh so yeah like i mean anxiety i think is um something i struggle with um in general i have a um i mean i have a personality disorder technically speaking um which um makes um things uh, even more difficult than they normally um would be um however um uh i mean yeah i am also a as it were a, a person pretending to be a company pretending to be a person um <laughs> on uh, on uh, social media etc in particular uh, and it is a lot of work yeah like doing it yourself is um, an incredible amount of work like i was lucky to have um, again the support of um Allard and anima press in terms of like art and also um the advice was in particular um instrumental and i probably couldn't have done it without um, that i my partner um tess was really really helpful and supportive as well and i was lucky there um but um but yeah, it was um, it, it, it's an effort on my own. Um, I am, I suppose, fortunate. I don't know if I mentioned. So I I did used to work um, within uh, for a company called Modifius, um, in and I worked as a uh, marketing person um, within them, uh, within their company. They produce like uh, Conan and Star Trek Adventures. I was going to say that they're they're, yeah. a, they're a tabletop RPG company, Modifius. Like I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Fall, the Fallout miniature game as well. They've got their um, they've got a really um, huge library of games, and um, I think um, working for them, uh, may, well, like working for any tabletop uh, company or small company in general, um, you end up wearing a lot of different um, hats, and you end up doing a lot of different um, things during the day. So you know, I do PR, I do the social media accounts, um, I'd. Um, do a bit of event stuff. I, I do all sorts of, um, you know, I do some play testing. Uh, I do all sorts of um, stuff um, as as required. You know, make I start being videos and make some content. Um, and I think that gave me a lot of um, confidence to um, do all that stuff. But like for my own, um, for my own uh, website and uh, my own and releasing my own game. So, do you still work with uh, Modifius now, or have you got a new job? Like, obviously, you don't have to say it if you don't want to, but like, because um, I can imagine that that's that's pretty cool having a job like that where you 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 do something you love and then you take those lessons that you learn from that and like apply them to your own projects that you wish to uh, get out there into the world. So you're still working for Modifius or have you moved on? Is is Manic Productions now your full-time thing? Uh, yeah, no, so I no longer uh, work for um, Modifius. I left them for uh, personal reasons. And um, yeah, Manic Productions uh, is pretty much my uh, full-time job. Um, I... Um... I do uh, some freelance like uh, marketing stuff as well, and I um, do this and that. I run a few D and D games for um, Cold Hard Cash, uh, which uh, helps out as well. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I do this and that and keep myself busy. No, oh, that's cool. Um, I've always been so. So just just so you're aware, so sometimes I have cognitive distance because I'm autistic. So I have, I have like cognitive dissonance. I can't make things work in my head because they logically don't make sense um one of those things is pay to play dms like i'm like but how because usually when you pay for something you offer a service that only you can provide and like it is not reliant on anybody else for you to provide that service for example a mechanic um a mechanic uh does not need you to buy them a car to work on they can work on any car and stuff like that as long as they're trained to do so and like only they can do that whereas i feel as if with dungeon mastering it's very strange because without players you don't have a game like like i i i need i need players to do what i want to do so that i find it really weird to charge for that because it's not a one-way transaction i think is the way the best way to put it so can you help me get my mind around like pay-to-play DMs and stuff like that? Like, what? How does it work? What do you do? Like, how how do you charge for it? Because like you see some people, it's like thirty quid per person per session, and I'm like, <laughs> like as a teacher, my time is worth thirty quid an hour to teach kids to pass exams that will determine the rest of their life. <laughs> like, like I'm like, that's the most I can charge. So that that like blows my mind how how do you work that like pay to play dming mm -hmm. uh yeah no it's a really good question um so i guess uh the way i frame it in my head is, is just like hiring a um private entertainer like uh hiring a comedian for your 
birthday party or hiring a juggler or something like that or a magician um so you're hiring uh, someone with a um, set of like skills and experience to uh run uh, or present something like bespoke to you um i agree uh, players do add a um, huge amount to um any um game of um like any role-playing game um and so i can i can understand there's a bit of like well aren't they aren't they like giving a lot as well which i do agree um but um like in sort of raw capitalist terms uh, at the moment the market is in such a place that there's a huge player demand and nobody wants to um dm uh, which seems to imply that like dungeon mastering does take a degree of like time um skill and effort and evidently that um, is something that people are willing to pay for um i will caveat it like i would much rather um run all my games uh, for free but people are willing to offer me money for them and i like to pay rent and eat food <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah totally like mate if if you can bad if case you, for it really but yeah. yeah if you can do like it's just it's just uh, as as someone who, who's of your mindset like players contribute just as much like i i i find it really difficult like i, I just find it and that's just me needing to get over that wall but like yeah if you can like what's there's, there's a famous quote like find what you love and get paid or don't do what you love for free is that the the quote like or don't do something you're good at for free whatever like don't do it for free so i think more power to you it just it just confuses the hell out of me but hopefully one day i'll get it and hopefully one day somebody will pay me because i could i could deal with i could do with that cash i'm not gonna lie to you like <laughs> um not an adult, yeah. honestly. Like, <laughs> oh, is it? Because, yeah, that is a good point that, like, it's it's a seller's market, isn't it, at the minute, in terms of, like, that sort of thing? Because for some reason, nobody wants to DM. Like, I, I, I kind of understand why, but because you get stuck there and everybody's, everybody hears the, the RPG horror stories of, like, oh, I'm stuck behind it. I want to play, but my play, my players, like, so... Yeah, I can imagine that that's pretty scary, especially for new players as well. Because I imagine that a lot of the, a lot of the customers you get are, or well, customers or players you get are, are, are newer, maybe like to uh, the hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, often uh, new players. Well, I've had some like very um, experienced groups um, play with me as well, um, and often like the thing. Um, I mean, it's a thing I do. Um, I've always done for my um, home games, uh, generally speaking, but also um, I do as a service, which is like I will customize the campaign if you so desire um to whatever you want to um play um in or as and we'll have a big discussion about that so um yeah players who want to specifically play a um you know a city-based noir game or a ancient greek game or whatever it is um i can do that for them i think it is hard to um uh, when it's not i guess service-based to you know go to your gm who's already offering all their um time and effort um, and then be like no you have to give us this thing <laughs> and, yeah um but i can do that because i'm being um paid for it and also that's how i generally like to do it anyway because i feel games work better when everyone's um engaged with them and i like exploring uh lots of different um things i'm also one of those weird people who prefers gming to playing so i'm i'm, I'm lucky there but i can understand why uh, not everyone does I, I i i feel at the moment that i need to i need to play for a bit again because i feel like the the dm battery is running out a little bit and i feel like i'm getting a bit samey samey i need to like see other people to magpie stuff off them and steal stuff off them to to move forward and be a better dm in the future but yeah i think it's a really interesting concept that um you talk about there in terms of like tailoring experiences 
um especially when we think about like session zero and everything like that and some of the controversy around that concept like uh session zero um there's been a bit of controversy about like checklists we, we talked i've talked about this with uh, one of my other friends on another episode of the podcast but like they're like checklists and um yeah, it's a scam there was a, a think dm article where they were like session zero is a scam and then using that headline they were like but that's not what the article says and i'm like then you're just a shit journalist my friend like well done you you're a fraud <laughs> so yeah um i think that to have that customizable experience is really good and really fun um especially if everybody's in into it like you've got ferros which can help you craft ancient greek adventures you've got um water deep for noir and stuff like that so if or it might be an opportunity for you to bust out games like Mog and Blades in the Dark for people and go, well, there is, if you don't, if you want to play D&D, that's fine. But there is also this, which allows you to do cool shit. Like uh, one of the things I really like from Blades in the Dark, and I'd love to be able to apply, is like the flashback mechanic. Like, I fucking love the flashback mechanic. Like it's got to be realistic though. Okay. Like, um, so yeah, that would be sick. Um, but yeah, like I feel as though I've got, we've covered a lot here. We've covered a bit, uh, like about the game and the, the the massive amounts of satire in it. We've talked about a bit about how politics are, are infused in games. I feel like the tabletop RPG space can be a bit politically charged um, with things like um, uh, representation uh, taking a massive, uh, especially in in the wake of things like the combat wheelchair. Um, conduct it with uh certain streamers uh doing creepy things like on the internet um so i feel as though you've actually also created a game for for an audience who would be very receptive of it in terms of like oh we we, we talk about politics and um we talk about like identity politics gender politics and all that jazz so to have that in a game that's all encompassing is is pretty good so i i think it's a great game i i I really want to play a game and review it um and hopefully afterwards you'll see that and you hopefully uh it goes well and we can help you out and stuff like that um before we go because we're pretty much heading up to an hour hour and 15 minutes um i don't want to keep you forever as much as i enjoy talking to you about uh the symbolism and stuff inside your game and like the layers of the onion that we keep peeling back. Like, um, we have something called the deck of many questions on the pod of many things. And I would like to ask you if you'd like to partake in that with me. So we'll both, um, you'll get to choose two numbers, one for yourself and one for me. And I will answer that question. Honestly, you will answer that question honestly as well. Some of these are, um, quite spicy. Uh, some of them are, a bit Dungeons and Dragons focused. They're not very, um, they're not very, uh, like difficult. They're things like, what's your favorite class? And rah, rah, rah. And then there's things like, if you had to, if you had to, what are you going to sleep with in the monster manual? Like, it's a random thing. So hopefully you can avoid some of the more loaded questions and you can, um, find some of the more, uh, sensible ones. If you wish to stack the deck in our favour and you're listening still, um, send in your questions on YouTube, Twitter, 
Instagram, wherever you can contact me, I will take them on and I'll put them in the deck for people to choose. So, uh, Penny, what, uh, between one and 75 is the, is the choices you may choose or roll and see what you get. Let us, uh, let us randomize. Um, Let's randomize between one and 75. I've got one, uh, 52. 52. What is the worst class or subclass for your favorite race? What is the worst class or subclass to pair with your favorite race? In D&D or any other RPG. <laughs> My favorite race is uh, human because uh, I love old school Dungeons and Dragons where there's uh, you've basically got dwarf, human, elf, and uh, halfling, and uh, that's what, and, and that's pretty, uh, that's pretty much it. And I think you yeah, the sort of um, iconic standard. Um, and uh, I've always, uh, I've always hated the um, the acrobat in old school D and I just don't see the, I just don't see the point of a, a thief that can just jump really well and i'm always reminded of uh robin hood in the bad batman film uh the like second the second one with uh, george clooney where he's like oh, yeah. jumping around and um, oh yeah uh so yeah i'd go uh human acrobat human acrobat awesome brilliant would you like to choose one for me then uh we've got 56 56 um that question seems incomplete it says do you even and then just question mark is that like do i just uh go again because i have no idea what, what i think i might have actually deleted that do i do even, even do you even like uh even? I, I do do i do i i even i aren't I, also I even, I, uh, 32. <laughs> 32 um what makes a bad player in my opinion Ooh. okay we I've recently just recorded a podcast with my friend Breaking Rads about problem problematic players, um, and talking about those problems and how we can work around them and fix them or get rid of them. Um, and I think one of the the worst things a bad player can do is not understand what they're doing to the group in general and with with their character. So, for example. Um, uh, a game that I played in was a one shot with me, my wife, uh, first of a game of D&D and two of our friends. We went around our friend's house and he, he ran his custom adventure, which was like this manor house crawl through. You're investigating this manor house because apparently there's something there. And in the first it in the first hour, we did not get inside the house. Instead, the other two players formed like a mini party themselves a duo and me and my wife formed a duo and um one of the players kept being like aggressive towards like my wife and like her character and stuff like that and i was like you you so we accident we killed each other like straight up we 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 killed each other because the dm lost control the other person didn't realize what they were doing. So I think that the fa what makes a bad player is if you do not realize the consequences of your actions and you don't think about like what you're doing. Um, and this can go to the things like character creation as well. Like you, you might not think that the character you've created is somewhat harmful or offensive, 
but like dude like think about it if you're going to create a, a character of a different different ethnic origin to yourself please be mindful that maybe not doing voices and racist stuff is is a good idea like just 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 food for thought so bad players are people who don't realize what they're doing like they they don't think about things and don't think about it in terms of the group as a whole so they're a bit selfish in that manner so that's what i think is um a bad player and that might change over time i might go you know what i'm a bad player i'm obnoxious as fuck like <laughs> so yeah um that is the deck of many questions if you wish to stack the deck in our favor out of our favor add a little more spice um get us to reveal a few more secrets please put them in the comments below in the dms of me on twitter and instagram and anywhere else you can find me at the pod of many things but yeah panny thank you so much for coming on would you be so kind as to tell us where we can find you on the internet um where we can get the shadow of mog from Absolutely. And yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great chatting. Um, yeah, you can follow me um, at uh, Manic Prod on uh, Twitter. And uh, you can find Manic Productions at uh, manicproductions.co.uk. Um, that would be the uh, main place, yeah. I'd suggest getting the game, which is available uh, now in digital, softcover, and uh, hardcover uh, aristocrat uh, versions. No, it is. It is i'm really looking forward to like my my version um coming through putting that on the shelf ready to one day play with the with the boys maybe in uh and, and girls maybe in uh in person if if the event doesn't happen because <laughs> the event seems to be currently happening do not think yeah. about the event do, do not think, think about, about the event mate it's been too many bongs since i've been outside <laughs> i can't help it <laughs> but yeah um, thank you so much, Panny. Um, and if you're still here, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are, I hope you're safe. I hope you're well. And I hope that we get to hear your voice, see your comments, have you listen next time. See you in a bit. Bye. <laughs>